Uh, we're going to stay standing for our scripture this morning, which is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. It's great to see you again. It's always a blessing to gather as the church. Uh, If you've been with us for some time, you know that we started earlier this month a new teaching series called Worshiping Church, where we are are asking the Lord to, to make us true worshipers, worshipers in the Spirit and in truth, to use the words of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Casey opened what is kind of a, a series within a series on liturgy, the, the sort of formal structure of liturgy uh, that we use throughout our services. And the, the idea here is that we let the gospel story shape our worship experience on Sundays. We, we follow this, this old traditional pattern of, of liturgy and worship and prayer, confession and assurance as a way of rehearsing the gospel each and every time that we gather. In all of this, the prayer that keeps ringing through my mind is, is that of David's in Psalm 27. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. And when we started last week, Casey led us in Psalm 95, come, let us bow down and worship. And that leads us to the second movement of liturgy, which is confession of sin. And we're looking at Psalm 32, which is one of a, a number of, of penitential psalms or, or psalms of confession. Now, I remember a conversation last year or a couple years ago now where um, a, a former pastor had come to our services and we went out and got uh, coffee later in the week and he was kind of giving me his impression of the services. We had just gotten started a couple years ago and he said, I love it, but the one thing that you're going to want to change is you can't use that old liturgy. 
He said, you know, if you're trying to reach young people and non-Christians, they're just not going to resonate with that. It's too slow. It's too quiet. What you need is, is fast and loud and energetic and most of all, lighthearted. I mean, don't bring any of that kind of heaviness and gloom into the services. And, and my response, and, and it's only kind of deepened since then, is I, I don't think that, that young people and non-Christians come to church for that. I mean, if they actually come to church, it's my belief that God has already started working on their heart. And most likely, they're, they're giving church a try because they, they feel a void in the world. There's something that, that isn't complete in the world. They feel this need for something more transcendent. I mean, if this is all there is, and then you step into a church and it's just kind of mimicking everything in the world, I just don't think that that's what, what those outside of our walls are looking for. They're not looking for another sort of hype concert or, or secular music in the church or anything like that. Instead, I think we are all longing deep within us to be connected to a transcendent experience of the living God. To be, to be with His people, people that have, have given their lives to this, that have been, that have been centered on this and, and filled with the Spirit. What a, what a witness it is when a group of people come together on Sunday morning to worship God for who He is and, and to acknowledge who we are. To confess our sins that when we come into the presence of God, we recognize that we don't deserve to be there. We, we in that moment, deserve to be, to be cast out because He's holy. We deserve to be incinerated, and yet He doesn't call us to Himself without making a way also. The confession of sin acknowledges that He has made a way for us to bring our sin to Him, knowing that we will be forgiven. And so my thesis is that true human flourishing cannot be found without the confession of sin. Now, confessing our sin, it's not a a shameful thing where we submit under the heavy judgment of an angry God, but instead confession is one of the ongoing rhythms of spirituality. It's, It's one of the core spiritual disciplines. You know, when a child is secure in their place in the family, they can freely confess when they've, when they've told a lie or they've stolen or hid something or whatever other kind of five-year-old crime they commit. If they're secure in the family, they, they'll put up a fight for a little bit, but then eventually they'll come back to their parents knowing that they'll receive grace and mercy. The one who has only received harsh judgment every time they've confessed wrongdoing, they're going to cling to what they've done that's wrong. They're going to hide it and that will continue to be born within them. The beloved child is quick to confess because she knows that grace and mercy await. And so I'm calling this message the freedom of confession, and we're going to look at three things, the need of confession, the freedom of confession, and then the practice of confession. So we'll start with the need and pick it up in verse 1. David says, Blessed Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And again, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, this is what uh, we call a beatitude, a a blessing, an announcement of blessing upon the people. We see this in the very first psalm. Blessed is the one who is like the green tree. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we see it here twofold. Blessed are the ones whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin is not counted against them. 
And so confession of sin is this second movement of liturgy, knowing that God has called us to himself, but he's also made a way for us. And so the second movement of confession doesn't make sense apart from the third movement, which is God's forgiveness towards us. The, the assurance of our pardon, what's called absolution, an, an announcement of forgiveness and pardon. Now we know that that's the third movement, and so that changes everything about the second movement. Now for David, you can put yourself in his place. We don't know the exact context of this psalm, but he knew that he could cast his sins on the Lord. Now remember, this is the Old Testament, so he didn't have the the direct knowledge of Jesus and and Jesus' sacrifice in our place, and yet David was sure that he would be forgiven. Why? Because of God's covenant with his people. A covenant that started all the way back in Genesis where he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. A covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A covenant to forgive the sins of Israel the moment that they turned back to him. And so David knew, even not directly knowing that Jesus was to come to to make sense of all of this, he was putting all of his hope and faith in the promises of God, in this unbreakable promise that God had made to his people. Now, without confession, we see in verse 3 that our, pain, our, our lives are painful and lonely. David says, when I kept silent, in other words, when I kept my sin within me, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And yet he goes on to say, when we acknowledge our sin, when we bring ourselves humbly before God, this is verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So it makes us ask, why, if, if confession is so good for us, if we know that forgiveness awaits us, why are we so hesitant to confess our sins, both internally and to one another. Now, maybe it's because we think we can turn it around. I don't know if you've ever been in a position at work where you've made a mistake, where you've got like this little window of time that you could probably fix it before anybody else catches it. Now, we could have that perspective towards God. We might also think that what we've done is not really that bad, especially in comparison to what has been done against us or what's been done out in the world. We might think that God's forgiveness already covers us so we don't need to continue to confess our sins regularly. But I think there are even more common, more subtle reasons that we're slow to confess. So often I I see in my own heart a a refusal to to really confess sins that, that I want to hold on to. So maybe, maybe you felt this way in a relationship or in marriage. You feel like the other person is 90% wrong and you're 10% wrong, but you are not giving up that 10% until they give up the 90 Meanwhile, they're thinking the same thing, right? We can kind of cling to these things. Sometimes we just simply more or less forget to confess our sins. The pace of our life is so fast. We're so distracted, we're so caught up in our own things that we don't even recognize our sin and so we don't bring it before the Lord. Now there was a book some years ago by Jerry Bridges, a great Christian writer, and it was called Respectable Sins. 
And the point of the book was sort of to point out that the Christians are obviously against the really big sins, you know, murder and, and adultery, the, the outright lying and theft, and yet so many Christians and churches permit these respectable sins, these things that can kind of fester in our souls and, and run beneath the surface and we let them continue. He gave, gave a few examples of frustration, having this, this simmering anger beneath the surface. Jealousy, saying, you know, she doesn't deserve that, he doesn't deserve that. Discontentment, I should have more, I should be further along. Gossip, you know, I heard what really happened was, or ungratefulness, I'm the one that earned it, I deserved it. Maybe it's half-truths, where we, where we speak half of the truth but conveniently hide the other half. A lack of self-control words and actions that reveal what's going on in our heart. Selfish ambition, the pursuit of worldly status at, at great cost to yourself and others. Lack of generosity, the, the need to spend all of your income on yourself and your future. Now, all of these things, these respectable sins, they feel lighter. They feel easier in the moment, but in the end, like any other sin, they lead to death and destruction. They, they burn within us. They, they eat us up from the inside. We feel the anguish and groaning, even if we don't know where it's coming from. And so David is saying, bring it all to the Lord. At first, confession brings sorrow, but then it brings freedom. It brings joy. And so that's the second thing, the freedom of confession. Verse 6 says, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them, which feels appropriate for this weekend if you've been following all of the flooding. The rising of the mighty waters will not reach you. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. See, for David, he, his awareness of forgiveness was that it was coming through the promises and the covenant of God, and yet we have so much more clarity. On this side of Christ and, and of the cross, we know exactly the, the, the mechanism of our salvation and forgiveness. Romans 3, a classic gospel text, puts it like this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are freely justified by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so quite clearly, our sin has separated us from God, and yet God has dealt with this by sending his own son to do what we couldn't do, uphold the law, and even go to the cross for our sins. What's interesting is all the way back in verse 1, the Hebrew word for forgiven, you know, blessed is the one who is forgiven. The word forgiven most literally can just mean lifted. To, to have something lifted or, or, or removed or, or lifted up off of your shoulders, taken off. The picture is, is of our sins being lifted off our shoulders, the, the heavy burden that lies upon us removed and set on to Jesus instead. Now, that alone is why confession is not a, a fear-filled activity. It's one that brings life and joy and peace. 
First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We already read Hebrews 4 in our liturgy, but here it is again. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, there's a, a phrase, a Latin phrase in the world of pro-cycling, and I know you guys are just begging for more cycling illustrations, and I appreciate you being here in the midst of the Tour de France. I know that was a big decision for you this morning. But in pro-cycling, our Latin phrase is ex doris gloria. Ex doris gloria. Most literally, it means from what's hard, glory. From hard things comes glory. Now, I know some of you are, are Mizzou athletes or athletes in other places, and you know that there is often a direct correlation between the pain that you're willing to endure in training and in the freedom and glory that you can experience on the field or on the court. Now, it's not always that perfect. It rarely is. But I think the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. The amount of hard things that we're willing to do, the amount of depth that we're willing to go in confession that allows us to have a freedom and an experience of God that we couldn't have if we just try to minimize our own sin. Now, to be clear, the energy and effort don't earn our salvation, but spiritual maturity comes through some level of partnership with God, some amount of initiative and, and effort in response to His grace. And so I think every, everybody in this room has experienced to some degree the deeper that you go in confession, the more fully you experience forgiveness and the more gloriously you enjoy peace and freedom. Now, verse 10 says this, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. What a great promise that is. I'll read it again. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. I mean, could there be a, a freer place than in the unfailing love of our Father? And then it says in verse 11, the very last line of our psalm, rejoice. Rejoice, not in general, but rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing. Sing all you who are upright in heart. And so the third and final thing is our practice of confession. What are some ways that we practice confession of sin individually and then together as a church? First of all, we'll look at the individual. Confession of sin is always a heart-level practice. It's, it's deep work. It's, it's heart-level work. In private confession, it should be a daily practice alongside of Scripture reading and, and prayer and, and reflection. We can sit quietly before the Lord and ask Him to reveal what's really going on in our hearts. I don't know how much you do this. It can sometimes be painful because thoughts come flooding in. Sometimes my anger and frustration, sometimes uh, you know, ways that I've been annoyed by children or circumstances or whatever it is, they come flooding to me in that moment. And that's God's invitation for me to take that and turn it upward to the Lord, to confess sin, to receive forgiveness, to enjoy peace over, over something that I wasn't even aware of prior to the prayer. David says this in the 51st Psalm, 
Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, throughout church history, the church has practiced this as the prayer of examine. It's a a nighttime prayer where we reflect on what happened over the course of the day, what we thought, what we said, what we did, what was going on in our hearts throughout the day. And before falling asleep at night, we gather those things and offer them to the Lord in confession, in faith, in hope. And it's a nighttime prayer because it allows us to to fall asleep in in a peaceful way with a light heart. As the phrase says, a light heart lives long. And so confession is a heart level practice. But second, confession of sin is also a community rhythm. Now Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, our brother has been given to help us. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's place and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, I am going to God. Now, that might sound like a shocking statement, but what he's alluding to is what we call the priesthood of all believers. That we, as as God's people, are a kingdom of priests. We represent one another before God. Jesus is the ultimate high priest, but he has allowed us to be like priests to one another. And so Bonhoeffer is saying, bring your sins before one another and you'll experience the forgiveness and the freedom as if it's coming directly from God himself. So perhaps when somebody comes to you and confesses sin, we don't have to try to relieve the tension of their sin or to say, oh, that's, that's not a big deal. Don't worry about that. We don't need to solve their problems. We don't need to pry for more details. But we can acknowledge the gift that it is that somebody would bring their sin to us. We can listen carefully, remind them of the good news of Christ's sacrifice, pray for them to experience healing and freedom. I think we all struggle to some degree to hear and know and believe the voice of God, and that's why we do liturgy the way that we do and why the church has done this for almost 2,000 years. I mean, if you're like me and you struggle to, to understand what God is saying over you in any given moment, but then you come into this gathering and you hear his words proclaimed, not just read out of a book, but proclaimed by your brothers and sisters in Christ, your own community speaking over you, you are forgiven. Go and sin no more. I mean, what a blessing it is to hear that and to speak that over one another. Now, the printed confession or the confession on the screen, it allows no excuses. There's no extenuating circumstances where we can look at one word and say, okay, I'm not going to say that word. I don't think that applies to me. I'm going to just kind of hit the ones that do. It's like, no, it pierces every one of us. And even if we don't resonate with it personally, certainly it's true of us as a group, as a family. We also confess sins in the worship gathering because it allows us to to keep confession tethered to forgiveness, tethered to the the assurance of our pardon so that we can can be reminded not only of our sins, but that it is as far from God as the east is from the west, behind his back, thrown into the bottom of the ocean. Now, third, a community of confession must also be a community of forgiveness. 
I mean, imagine a place where you were expected to just freely and completely share your sin, and yet you didn't receive forgiveness. I mean, nothing would, nothing would be worse than that. That's the unhealthiest small group possible, right? But instead, imagine a place where when you bring your sin, when you bring yourself as you are, there's no judgment, there's, there's only grace. There's understanding, there's a listening ear. There's a word of comfort and a word of healing an announcement of, of the gospel and simply the community of, of the unfailing love of God. Now, surely you've been offended in some way by somebody in the church or somebody in your group. They didn't have the right response to you. They made a cutting comment to you. Any number of things can happen. But what we have to remember at every turn is that God has forgiven us of so much more than anything that's been done against us, right? In fact, Bonhoeffer says it, Even better, he says, anyone who lives beneath the cross and has discerned the utter wickedness of his own heart will find that there is no sin that is foreign to him. Anyone who has at once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified even by the rankest sins of our brother. The community of confession must also be a community of forgiveness being fully aware of our own sin, knowing how much it cost our Lord, it transforms us. It allows us to receive one another's sin with a word of forgiveness. When they've sinned against us, to overlook the offense, to bring it gently to them, whatever it looks like. But we know that we have been forgiven of so much more. Now, fourth and finally, the freedom of confession The freedom of confession, it enables true worship and renewal. The the whole psalm, if I could wrap it up in just three verses, David says, I acknowledged my sin to you, Lord. I didn't cover up my iniquity, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, you who are upright in heart. And so I hope you catch the, the movement of the psalm that blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. I brought my sins to you, O God, and you forgave me completely, and now I rejoice in you. Now I, now I sing in, in the gatherings. I sing of all that you are and all that you have done for me. Confession leads to rejoicing. It leads to singing. In true worship, as Jesus said, and in the Spirit and in truth, it requires the truth of confession requires that we are not only thinking true thoughts of God, but thinking true thoughts of ourselves as well. Confession allows you to go deep for a moment that our burdens might be lifted and our hearts turned upward in praise. Confession enables worship. It enables renewal. Now, thousands of years ago, when the confessional system was brought into the church, it sparked a revival all on its own. I mean, often we think of the confessional systems of the church as something to be done away with, and yet when it first came into the church, it sparked a true revival, revival of holiness and obedience. We often say here, the personal renewal leads to congregational renewal, which leads to citywide renewal. But what is it that starts that? What starts the personal renewal in us? It's seeing God as he is, seeing ourselves as we are, 
and seeking his face in Christ. It's confession that leads to our ongoing personal renewal that allows for the renewal of our congregation, of our cities, of our world. Freedom of soul, it's, it's a gift known only to Christians. Only the children of the true living God can experience the freedom, can celebrate the joy of confession and forgiveness. And it's why we're a singing people, because we have been covered by the blood, we've been washed in the river, we've been filled with his very own Holy Spirit. That's why Christianity alone is a singing religion. You can chant, you can have your books, you can have your formal things, but Christianity alone is a people that sing at the top of their lungs. It's because we've been forgiven. And as Jesus said, the one who has been forgiven much will love much. Freedom of soul comes only by the confession of sin. Let's pray.